Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is the lovely and effervescent Charles W. Bryant. I'm vescent. I'm not effervescent. You're effervescent, whether you like it or not. Okay. How you doing? Great, sir. Do you seem like you were in the best mood today? Yeah, it's Monday morning. Yeah. Compared to Friday afternoons when we usually record, there's a slight change. Sure. But, uh, hey, I'm fired up. <laughs> you sound like it Today this morning. It's the uh, first week of the rest of our uh, lives. Yeah, sadly <laughs> enough. Um, Chuck, how did you get to work this morning? I drove to the subway, then took the subway to work. You took the subway? Sure. Terrible. Uh, I drove to work, so let's go with me. Good for you. I'm like uh, the vast majority of Atlantans. Driving? Driving to work, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember there's this, there was this huge, uh, this is ultra local, but I'm sure it happens all over the United States. There's this proposed rail line from Lovejoy, way down south, uh-huh. in the, in, in the uh, southern suburbs of Atlanta, that was going to come up to Atlanta proper. Really? The city. Uh, and... The people who came out against this came out against it like it was a proposal to murder every one of everybody's kids. The 500 people who live in Lovejoy? No, it wasn't just Lovejoy. People in every county that this rail line was going to go way, through. Sure. I mean, there were elected representatives that were coming out against it. Like, yeah. Everybody was arguing against this public transportation. And simultaneously, they were throwing their support between because there's horrible congestion below sure. the city. Oh, yeah. It's probably the worst um, Worse than in north, Atlanta, you think? Uh, yeah, it, and they it's fought, constant. Uh, they fought the MARTA going too far north too. I know, and and always the the. And by the way, everyone, MARTA is our uh, yeah. public rail system, our sad sad public rail system. It <laughs> forms in in Atlanta is one of the major cities in the country. Yeah. we have a cross, we have a plus sign for a, a transit system. Yeah, That's there's it. a couple of little uh, lines that spur off of it now, but not much. I've never seen them. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, uh, yeah. Well, north no, if goes you, northeast and then straight north, too. And I should say, uh, in my defense, there's, I could drive, I guess, to, you know, Art Center stop or something like that. Yeah, and that then point, hit the rail. Though, and that's too worthless. Right, exactly. It's great for me, though. It is, Chuck. You are well served by our transit system. I am. But, yeah, generally the argument against transit is um, that, you know, the uh, poor will. Start use it to it go. Sure. No, no, no. They'll use it to go rob houses in the suburbs. Oh, I thought they thought they'd start living along the line. No, and, the, and the argument the I've always heard is that it will increase crime. So can't you just see people, you know, laden with flat screen TVs and, right. you know, all sure. sorts of other, you know, they have the uh, the burglar mask on. Right. And that money <laughs> sack with the dollar sign on right. it that they just came from some wealthy suburbanite's house. And now they're using public transit to make their getaway, right? Yeah, I could see it. Um, so, yeah, that's one reason that it's stalled. Uh, but uh, as I was saying, this, to solve this congestion problem down south, the proposal is to make 75, I-75, I think from five lanes to 11 lanes in each direction. You know, I, I wish I had a, a stat to back this up, but I've always heard that making roads wider does not do much to ease congestion. No, I've heard that as well. Um, the cars will fill it. Yeah, it's kind of like... Um, if you build it, they will come. Right. It's like giving condoms to teenagers. They wouldn't have sex if you didn't give them condoms. Sure. But once you do, they're just like rabbits, it's you know? It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Chuck, the, the, the debate continues. And I'm actually 
surprised after reading this article we're about to talk about, written by our esteemed colleague John Fuller. Of Stuff from the B-Side? Yeah, yeah, very hip, young, soft-spoken man. Yeah. Um, that rail is even alive these days. Yeah, have you ever taken a train ride, like an Amtrak uh, trip? I have, yeah. Uh, it's awesome. I think I went... I don't remember where I went. I was kind of young, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I wish it were a little more comprehensive and uh, cheaper. It's kind yeah. of expensive. It is. And you also realize it's federally subsidized. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Amtrak is uh, is subsidized by federal money. I so you pay for Amtrak, days. pal. Hmm. Yeah. I should take a... Do I get free tickets or anything? No. Can I cash in on that? No, oh, you well. can't. But uh, let's talk about it, man. If you look around, we take for granted just how much we rely on the car. Yeah. Like uh, Fuller points out in this article, the very designs of our cities, oh, yeah. of our shopping malls, mm-hmm. of everything is, is made with the car in mind. It's right? hard to imagine a life without uh, parking lots. And what if everything were streetcars and subways and uh, you know trains and things? I, I, I can't even conceive of what it. What if parking lots were green space? Like you still had your shopping mall. Right. But it was just surrounded by like a park. Yeah. That'd be awesome. It would be awesome. But it, it's too late. Not necessarily. There's a movement for mixed-use development in, in walkable cities. True, true. Atlanta, we have our own thing going. Yeah. With the... Uh, yeah, the Beltline proposal. Yes, which I got really excited about when I first started hearing it, and then I read the, the finer points. And it is great, but it's going to be finished when I'm like 70. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, cool, maybe I can have kids and grandkids that will enjoy it. Hopefully it'll be wheelchair accessible for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's do. Let's give a little background, right? Okay. 1832, New York let's is go back the in first. Time. Okay, let's do it. We're in New York. All right. It's in the 1830s. There's newsies everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's extra, extra. The Irish are fighting one another. Right. It's, it's crazy. So uh, let's not spend too much time here. Uh, it's 1832, and uh, New York has just installed the first street rail line, and it's horse-drawn. Right. So see the little horsey right there? Uh-huh. I smell can, it. Can you hear it? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here, Chuck. Yeah, I see uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is coming yeah. after us <laughs> with a meat cleaver. <laughs> okay. So now, my friend, we're in New Orleans. All right. Only slightly less dangerous. I'm slightly 18, drunk. 1835. <laughs> uh-huh. What do you mean slightly? Well, sure. And New Orleans has just opened its first street rail line. And, Chuck, if you want to go ahead and flash forward with me to 2009, take my hand. Okay. All right, here we are. Wow. The same rail line is still in use. In New Orleans? And it's just as dangerous here. Wow. Let's go back to the studio. Okay. So rail lines have been around a little while. Oh, yeah. A long while, actually, and longer than the car. Um, Apparently, there was a, uh, what is it called, zeitgeist, when a bunch of people come up with the same idea at the same time? Yeah. That happened with the automobile. Uh Uh-huh. Germans, uh, mainly. Well, yeah, and uh, a guy named Gottlieb Daimler was the first. He he is uh, widely viewed as the first to come up with the real functioning automobile. Right, that could get you from point A to point B. Uh, and he named the car after his daughter. Right. Named Mercedes. Yep, you may sound familiar. He hooked up with a guy named uh, Carl, Carl Benz. And uh, hold on, I've got to say, Chuck, hats off to you for your extra dedication <laughs> to throwing that little German accent I on there. German. What was it, Bavarian? Carl, yes. Uh, I thought it was interesting to think if it would end up being called the Daimler Benz instead of the Mercedes Benz. Good name, yeah, but certainly not. Uh, now it's the iconic Mercedes Benz. Yep. 
So uh, uh, they were the first ones, like you said, to come up with the working car. In 1884, right? Uh-huh. And uh, years later, they looked to America because we kind of uh, perfected that that scene and started building highways. So they looked at us and their, uh, how to build the Autobahn superhighway. Yeah. And there was a guy who, again, by historians is widely considered the man who did perfect that scene, as you put it. Yes, sir. guy named Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. Industrialist, fascist. Uh, eugenicist, well, at the very least, supporter of eugenics. Uh-huh. Dentist? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Probably in his spare time. He was something of a renaissance man. Right. Um, and the reason he's credited as perfecting the automobiles because he applied uh, the principle of the assembly line. Right. A lot he of people created think, that term, actually. He did. He didn't come up with the assembly line itself. He did coin the term. Right. But he applied that to car manufacturing, and all of a sudden, you know, making one car by hand by one person, mm-hmm. which took forever. They just popped it on a line, and each person had their own job. Right. And he cranked out, I think, 14 million cars. Yeah, between 1913 and 1927, they built 14 million Model Ts. Yeah. Which is a huge jump, because just in uh, 1915, there were only 2 million cars. Right. And that was when there were about 100 million people in the United States. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of cars. Yeah. That's a, that's, it, especially for it having been considered um, kind of like a, uh, a plaything of the rich. Yeah, it was almost like a toy. It's and, like uh, a personal submarine is today. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. And uh, they weren't even uh, that well-liked at first because they were clunky and they smelled bad. I know John said that one of the early names, nicknames for a car was a stink chariot, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. Couldn't stink worse than horse manure. Or could it? It could. I guess it's a different kind of stink. I kind of like the smell of horse manure. Yeah, but what if it was coming out of, like, that was the emissions of the time. I'd be in heaven. Really? Sure. How do you control those emissions, I wonder? With the uh, corks. Right. Yeah. Or, like, don't do like uh, Kramer did in Seinfeld when he, <laughs> when he fed the horse ravioli or something. <laughs> Beefaroni. Beefaroni. Yeah. Woo. Um, that was a tangent. Uh, Chuck, let's uh, talk about rail lines. Yes. We, we can't forget about rail lines. They actually opened up the country. You know, back before then, John Candy was uh-huh. in a um, covered wagon, and that's how you <laughs> really got around. You ended up devolving into cannibalism. It sure. was nothing but hardship. There were no roads, really. Basically, you had to have a murder rap on you back east to take a covered wagon uh, out west. Right. Well, there were no interstates and freeways. There were no lo- local roads. You were literally a trailblazer, yeah. which is why uh, Portland has that name, Trailblazer. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's an <laughs> assumption of mine. You're full of facts. So um, the railways open this up, and actually, they're uh, wildly successful. Oh, they yeah. actually are, are, um, are considered to have created the modern industrial state of the United States that we view it today, Uh right? Um, They opened up the continent, and uh, I think 1.2 billion people were using rail lines every year by 1920. And that was at its peak. Yeah. It peaked in 1920. Yeah. And that's that's, uh, about 106 million people living in the United States then, carrying 1.2 billion. So it was pretty clear that, you you know, every American was probably traveling by rail several times Mm -hmm. a year. Yeah. Or maybe several times a week or day. Who knows? And it also opened up the uh, rest of the country to ordinary, everyday people. Um, they Before, it was pretty much horse-drawn carriage. Yeah. Maybe a Model T. But with with the absence of roads in between towns, generally. Not very comfortable, no. No, and they were bumpy. Um, people just kind of stuck around their town. 
Yeah, no, with the rail line you could some go. Some people didn't even leave that where they were born their entire life. There are people who do that still today, which That's is true. just weird. Yeah, I remember when I took my grandmother, uh, who lived to be 101 and passed away a couple of years ago, when we took her to the ocean for the first time, dude, she was like in her 70s. Yeah, what'd she think of it? She walked out, I'll never forget. I was like 12. She walked out to the ocean and stood there and went, well, it's big. I <laughs> swear to God. And that's all she said. Granny Bryant's yep. famous quote. And, that, and we actually called her Granny Bryant. That's funny. Did you? Uh-huh. And she yeah, pretty much turned around and was like, all right, let's 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 go home. That was it. Go back to Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've seen one ocean, you've seen them all pretty yeah, much, sure. right? Yeah. Um, so rail lines are really making a huge impact, but they kind of fell to the wayside, uh, even though cities like New York and Boston um, started offering uh, commuter stops. Right. But it was still, it was a train. It wasn't all that convenient. It was really good for long distances. Sure. But with the, uh, some, some refinement of the automobile and some huge marketing campaigns and lobbying. Yeah. And some unholy alliances. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, the automobile started to take on more, play more and more and more of a role. Yeah. Um, Streamlining into the manufacturing, they of course, like any manufacturing process, it got a little cheaper too. That's huge for the consumer. When, once prices start to come out, ultimately, no matter how played upon your brain is by uh-huh. by PR firms, um, no matter how little of a choice you're given by huge monopolies, right? Ultimately, it comes down to the consumer's choice. It's something that's really easily forgotten. Yeah, we talked about that in our uh, uh, econ audio book. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when consumers are given a choice, they almost invariably choose the cheaper option. Yes. So when cars started to become competitive uh, price-wise with maybe uh, rail service, that kind of thing, uh, people started buying more and more cars, sure. right? And you didn't have to depend on the uh, the rail service's schedule, of course. All of a sudden... You were in control of when you went somewhere and how far you traveled, and uh, you didn't have to worry about what the the rail line said about it. Yeah, which is still a, a uh, criticism today yeah, sure. of public transit. Right. Uh, cars offer freedom. It's right. as simple as that. They also offer more privacy, too, which I think a lot of people value. Right, and an ability to uh, engage in road rage, a national <laughs> yeah. pastime here yeah. in the United States. Which is uh, a little more removed than uh, subway rage. If you remember, what was that girl's name? Soldier Girl? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who went off again on Marta, our beloved Marta. Yeah, you can find that on YouTube still, I'm sure. What, what would they type in, Chuck? Uh, Soulja Girl. I think uh, S-O-U-L-J-A. If you want to watch a, a nice subway rant. Yeah. Nothing like Road Rage, though. No. Um, so Rail Lines is kind of fading into the background as far as public transportation goes and right. taking on more and more of a role as um, you know goods and good transportation. Yes. Commodities transportation, right? Right. But there's also those street rail lines that we were talking about. Yes. They were actually most cities, whether huge or not, had public transportation in the form of trolleys. Yeah, L.A. dude was one of the big uh, had one of the biggest um, trolley and streetcar lines. The the red cars and the yellow cars mm-hmm. is what they were called. Yeah, and man, they connected. And this was way back then. They connected like five counties. Wow, and it was really vast. And they were pretty much squashed. That's what we're getting to now. Yeah. This is arguably the death, the death blow of public transportation. National city lines. National city lines. This is where I think it really comes down to. Let's go ahead and say that we found in our research um, two views of this. Yeah. There, I read an article uh, by a guy who says that this this the the scandal is uh-huh. a myth. Right. Right. 
So not everybody is is on board that this actually uh, happened the way that it said. But right. but we a, do have some facts. Let's do it, Chuck. National uh, City Lines. Yes, National City Lines was uh, a group that formed made up of, I think it was about eight companies, but that included General Motors, Firestone, uh, Standard Oil of California, Phillips Petroleum. So clearly the big hitters in what would be the uh, burgeoning auto business. Yeah. And they uh, basically, what they wanted to do was buy up the streetcar systems and replace them with buses. They did, and they did it quietly. What they did was, um, it wasn't just buses, but like all the tires yeah. on these buses were Firestone. Sure. All of the uh, gas put the into oil, these buses yeah. was Standard Oil, and all the buses were manufactured by GM. Yes. So basically, all of a sudden, automobiles, whether it was a bus or mo- uh, Model Ts, that was the way to get around. Yeah. The trolley line was dead. And it's called, it's referred to as the Great American Streetcar Scandal. Right. And also, if that sounds vaguely familiar, um, you may have seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I was going to mention that. That informs uh, one of the subplots, uh-huh. it, right? Loosely, uh, loosely masked, uh, but definitely based on that, that whole scene. So back in 1947, there was a guy um, who was actually a, a trolley enthusiast, I guess. He was a wealthy, he, he was from a wealthy family. His name was E.J. Quinby. Uh, he was a naval officer. He sounds wealthy. He he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he bucked the family trend of just being wealthy right. uh, and took a job managing uh, trolley lines in New Jersey. Cool. After uh, As his first job after college, right? Nice. Uh, I guess then he went into the Navy after the war or during the war. Um, and he noticed what National City Lines was doing. Because he was right there. He'd been there while, you know, they, right. they were buying up all these trolley services. So he figured out what was going on and he wrote, um, this letter to, with all this detailed evidence uh-huh. to every person he could think of. Really? That had anything to do with federal, state, municipal elected officials and transportation. Anybody who had any kind of say in it got a letter from this guy across the country. So he started this whole thing for people to start paying attention to this? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people say that he would have, it, 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 it may not have ever been noticed had right. he not brought it to everyone's attention. And was he, he did killed it so shortly, thoroughly. Shortly no, he wasn't. I remember, he was from a wealthy family. True. But um, he he did such a thorough job that National City Lines was indicted by the federal government uh, or the Justice Department for, um, anti-tru- for breaking antitrust laws. Yeah, the Sherman Antitrust Act. Right. So, okay. <clears throat> Now, Huge. in 1947, we've got them by the short and curlies. Right. Uh, obviously, National City Lines is going to go under. These people are going to all be taken out behind the woodshed and shot in the back of the head for right. trying to. One of the charges was monopolize ground transportation in the United States, which is pretty huge. Oh, yeah, very huge. They were actually acquitted of that charge. Yes, they were. And they were uh, found guilty of a, a lesser charge, mm-hmm. of m- guilty of monopolizing uh, the sale of buses. Which, Which <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, they were found guilty. And what happened, Chuck? They were fined $5,000. The whole thing. National whole. City Lines, which is owned by GM, All this Firestone, and Standard Oil, yeah. was fined $5,000. Yes. Which in 1947 even wasn't that much for a corporation. No, right? not for all these corporations but at all. But the executives surely had to pay, right, Chuck? They did, dude. How much? $1. $1 a piece. A symbolic fine of $1. And uh, from an outsider looking in, you would see this lesser charge, quote unquote, is pretty much the charge, and they just—I I don't know how they got around it. I don't know if there was uh, some nefarious uh, bribes or anything like that. I know that some conspiracy folks think so, but 
it still hasn't been found out really. So the the fact that that case was you know tried and right. and convicted in 1947 still it didn't catch the public eye all that much. It was no. actually um, a district attorney or a federal attorney I think named Bradford Snell who in 1974 testified before the Senate really? and really drummed up public ire about this occurrence that had happened uh, you know a couple decades before. Right. So the, it wasn't really considered a scandal or, or a huge um, nefarious plot until right. Bradford Snell came about, right? right? And again, still, not everybody's on the same page about whether this was a nefarious plot. No one actually disputes that GM and, and National City Lines were trying to sell buses across the country. Right. But they're saying monopolized ground transportation? Sure. Prove it. Right. Uh, so you can't really prove motivation like that or clearly the uh, federal prosecutors couldn't right but as as one guy pointed out in a um a mountain express which is a, a paper out of Asheville, uh-huh. i read a cool article in there about this um the result was still the same sure the death of the trolley car absolutely so whether that was the intent or not that was still the result right yeah, that was the intent and uh i think one of the reasons why this uh became such a um point of or source of irritation among the public when Snell came out, was that it was 1974. Right. Which was... Kind of right in the middle of the energy crisis, wasn't it? Well, that was part of it, but also it was around the birth of the the environmental protection movement. Oh, right, sure. We have, like, the nascent EPA. Right. And people are starting to think about... Um, Pay attention to that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think also faith in corporations had, had been lost time and time again. Yeah, People were kind of getting fed up with it, right? Yeah, it's a good point. So, Chuck, we were talking about uh, public transportation and cars being in a horse race uh, to see who was going to serve or which was going to serve the United States, right? Right, right. There's also another sub-race going on between what exactly would fuel those cars. Yeah, oil or uh, gasoline or ethanol. Right. You, Henry Ford designed the Model T to run on either one. I know, which is pretty interesting to think back. This country could have gone in a whole different direction, man. It totally could have. Ford was actually a huge proponent of ethanol. Right. Uh, he called it the fuel of, of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, which was kind of weird because it had been around for several decades already. It right. used to power all sorts of uh, equipment. Right. Uh, I think Ford also said that um, one one year's yield of an acre of potatoes can be used to fuel the machinery to cultivate that acre for the next century. But we went with gas. We did go with gas. And do you know why? Uh, I'm not sure. I know that gas was just kind of a dirty byproduct at the time uh, of oil, crude oil production. Yeah, they were looking for kerosene. Yeah, because they wanted kerosene to light things. Yep. Um, and no one really had any use for gas, right? Right, at the time. But uh, once some oil fields opened up, you ever heard of a little movie called There Will Be Blood? Yes. Once some oil fields opened up in Texas around that time, uh, oil suddenly became cheaper. Right. Gas became cheaper. Uh, advances in the refining process became cheaper, and ethanol was more expensive. Yep. It was as simple as that. And Daniel Day-Lewis, once again, drinks our milkshake. Yes. Which we've mentioned before. It's I will eat your ice cream. Ago. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, it was. So, Chuck, the I guess with the National City Line scandal going on, there was one real last... Nail in the coffin. Right. That came from a president, right? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, the cars were in, in full swing. People were digging it. And what we needed now was major uh, interstates to connect everyone together. 
1956, President Dwight Eisenhower, he signed the Interstate Highway Act, which created about uh, 42,000 miles of highway from uh, coast to coast. Yep. And the rest is history, literally. History. Um, also, that, that one act really uh, changed the American economy a lot, too. Yeah, oh, the way we spend our money. Uh, not just that. I mean, think about um, fast food is one. Sure. Roadside attractions. Drive-through uh, uh, food. Yeah. Billboards. But, John was talking about billboards in the article, which I thought was pretty uh, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I came across this study by these two guys named uh, Shapiro and Hassett, and they they reckon, I guess you could put it, that every year cars and the highway system, just automobile use, mm-hmm. generates $314.7 billion for businesses in the United States. That's wow. direct. Like you drive up to a McDonald's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You drive to you know the mall. This the fact that automobiles exist generates that. Right. You know what? You know what else happened to help this along? What? They started uh, new zoning laws uh, were created, and when businesses were built, and for the first time, uh, parking spaces were required, and uh, you know a certain amount of parking spaces per business, which yeah. still exists today. And what that ha- what happened was they some cities like abandoned sidewalks altogether at this point, and they pushed businesses back further from the road mm-hmm. in favor of parking lots, obviously. Yeah. And uh, places that were pretty easily accessible by foot or by whatever you know bicycle, all of a sudden they were a little further away and they weren't as accessible. And the only way you get there was by your car. Well, so thanks a lot for that too. Yeah. It looks like uh, I don't know public transit. Does it have a choice chance? Uh, well, it's making a comeback now, obviously, because gas prices are so uh, so high now, and the uh, car car production has uh, reached, I think, a ten year low last year. John said, "Yeah, dropped eighteen uh, percent at last year." Yeah, but that was because gas was five bucks a gallon, and everybody, you remember, martyr ridership went up yeah, yeah. through the roof. It like doubled or tripled. That was awful. And then gas goes back down, and everybody's like, "What the heck's Marta? Yeah, but uh, I think people are starting to realize a little more, uh, coupled with the environmental impact and public transport is coming back a little bit, but it'll it'll never overtake cars. Consider this, though. The Cash for Clunkers program right, in and of itself supports automobiles. The recently defunct. Yeah. As of today, I think, actually. Oh, it ended? Uh Uh-huh. Did they go through all $3 billion already? I don't know. It was a hugely uh, successful program. I know they sold uh, an estimated quarter of a million cars with just the first $1 billion. That's a lot of cars. It is. And, I mean, yeah, you say four four miles per gallon, I think, was the requisite. Was it? Yeah. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, so the American obsession with cars continues. And to answer this question, why are we so dependent on it? How did it become the dominant form of transportation? Because it was cheaper at the right time. Yep. Yep. And that's what consumers want. So uh, if you want to know more about this, there's all sorts of cool links on the uh, LMI page on this article. Type in uh, automobile dominant form of transportation in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And, Chuck, let's plug real quick, dude. What are we plugging this time? Let's plug the blogs and the um, webcast. Josh and I have a shared blog yep. called Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. You can access it uh, on the right side of the homepage of that our website. True. Yes. And we write about interesting things and newsy items and people get into little scrappy debates. It's good. It's good. Boy, do they. Yeah. That and is social media, my friend. Yeah. And uh, the uh, Friday blog recap is getting a lot of traffic now. People, we welcome you, if you want to say something about the show, to, to log on on Fridays and uh, tell us what you think. Yeah. Uh, and the webcast is uh, live 
at 1 p.m. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Video. Yeah, you can find that on your blog post that, that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also on Ustream and Facebook. Right. So there's the plugging. Yeah, plugging is over, which means it's time for listener mail. Listener mail, Josh. I'm just going to call this, uh, we shall use our powers for good. <laughs> we have a regular uh, kind of a email buddy, Christopher, that writes in a lot, uh-huh. and he's a really cool guy. And he wrote in and asked us to give a little shout-out to Blood Platelet Donation. He is a uh, he and his family have been donating uh, platelets for years. And he says beginning uh, at the end of August, it's a very critical time when blood and platelets are needed the most. And uh, people know a lot about blood donations and how important that is, but few people know about platelet donation and other forms of donation that the Red Cross and state blood services take and what they're used for. Uh, Platelets, for example, are used for chemotherapy and leukemia patients. Uh, These treatments destroy platelets, which are essential for the clotting of blood, which is a very big deal. Sure. And uh, patients frequently require platelet transfusions to allow their blood to clot if they get injured. Uh, Platelets are needed all the time, especially with the increase of cancer and leukemia cases in recent years. Uh, Blood Services also accepts red blood cells and plasma to help uh, other patients and people in need. So his family has a freakishly high platelet count, and when they donate, one single donation goes to help three or four people in need. Cool. pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, most people's single donation goes to help at least two patients. So he said it takes a little longer, about an hour and 45 minutes, which is one reason why they don't get as many donations. And uh, that's just the process, though, and they really need it. So we just want to encourage folks to... Uh, he actually wanted us to podcast about it, so maybe we'll do that one day. Maybe. But uh, go give blood platelets, people. Did you know that my girlfriend's blood saves infants? Really? She lacks the type of herpes that most people uh, get by age five. Really? Um, so, but you're not supposed to get it before age five. Uh-huh. So very few people um, ha- are without this type of herpes. She's one of them. So her blood is used directly to save infants. How crazy is that? Did you know that a gaze from my wife saves uh, baby puppies? <laughs> all from all over the world. That's awesome. So she looks upon them. That's very cool. She should uh, exercise that. So, so beat that, Yumi. Okay. Um, yeah, Yumi. I want to see a Yumi and Emily saved down. Right. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. All so right. donate blood platelets and uh, blood and plasma. And, it's, and it's puppies. Very important. Josh and, I, and puppies. And yeah. Josh and I are going to go do that today. All right. If you have an email about what you can save, uh, send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?